Hello and welcome to episode four of Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. I'm your host, Shay Zaru, and each time you join me, we'll be taking a deep dive together into a topic related to women's lifting, health, and life. Today's episode is a really important one for me and one that I'm so excited to share with you all. As you can tell by the title, today we are going all in on binge eating, the never-ending diet cycle, and talking at length about diet culture and how deeply rooted it is in how we make our decisions around our bodies and how we view them too. Diet culture, as we all know, is a really big and challenging topic and something I've thought about at length for the past year and the impacts it's made on my own life. It's essentially a belief system that shows up in a lot of different ways, but definitely showed up in mine in making me believe that thin was the only measure of health and confidence, that the only way to exist in my body and be happy was to make it smaller that being hyper aware of my body and the food I put into it was a normal thing and that no pain equals no gain when it came to exercise. Five years ago now, I was actually about to step onto the bodybuilding stage for the last time and these beliefs and thoughts really ruled my life. They pushed me back into binge eating the night before I was meant to step on stage and told me that at my smallest, I still needed to be smaller. I look back now and can see the influence they had on everything I did and it makes me really feel for that girl whose life was overhauled by a belief system that took her so far away from her potential as a human being and not just a body. Diet culture seeps into a lot of our decisions day to day. It oppresses people who don't match the supposed idea of health and it also makes weight loss one of our number one goals in life. So I hope that today by listening to my discussion with the wonderful Sarah Hersich that you start to be curious about the ways that diet culture maybe is or has impacted you, which parts of diet culture you want to start rejecting and also how to give support to the people that diet culture is actually oppressing. Sarah is a therapist based just outside of Philadelphia and puts out some really wonderful blogs and posts that can be both confronting and a breath of fresh air at the same time. We cover so much ground in this episode and I had a lot of light bulb moments chatting to her and listening to someone who works day to day with people who are struggling with binge eating and eating disorders. If anyone wants to get in contact with her, I would highly recommend checking out her website and social media and both of these are linked in the show notes. She is an incredible resource if you are just interested in the topics that we talk about or if you're going through an eating disorder or if you've had a similar experience, um, I really cannot recommend her enough. Just before we get into the episode, I also want to thank my mom, Michelle. I actually shared some information during this episode that I wasn't sure she had previously been open about. And when I messaged her asking if she wanted me to edit it out, she told me I could leave it in. And that feels really important to me. So thank you, mom. And without further ado, we are going to jump into today's episode. As I mentioned, it is a challenging one, but when I started this podcast, this is the exact type of conversation that I wanted to have. I wanted to be challenged and I wanted people to come on here who have so much information about a particular topic and are so willing to share it with you guys. So I hope you guys love it. Welcome, Sarah, to Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on because last week I had an episode and we did speak a lot about disordered eating and I wanted to get someone on who is in that field who can speak about it from a professional standpoint. So I did some research on the internet and came across you and 
did a lot of reading from your blog posts and on your website and really I loved your message and which is why I wanted to get you on. But if you just want to give yourself a bit of an introduction um, on a professional level and then also a bit about your background with disordered eating too. Yeah, sure. Sure. So I'm a therapist um, by training. I have a a private practice outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a social worker by training. I'm an intuitive eating counselor and a body trust provider. Um, And what all of that means is that I work with people who identify as women primarily struggling with their relationship to food and their bodies. So I see people from the ranges of having clinical eating disorders to disordered eating to you know, being in dieting cycles that they can't seem to find their way out of um, and just really struggling with how they, they see and engage with their bodies. And what, was, what got you into working in that area specifically? Yeah, I think it has a lot, well, it definitely has a lot to do with my personal experience with disordered eating. Um, I, growing up, I had a pretty normal relationship with food. Um, I had some like body image stuff, which, you know, unfortunately is pretty normal for, for lots of teens, especially girls and, and teen boys too. But, um, so kind of like normal stuff, uh, discomfort and all of that, but it was really after college. And as I got into graduate school, that things start to, started to kind of swirl a little bit. I was struggling with a lot of, I would say life transitions, of course, and kind of trying to find myself and my purpose and all of that kind of stuff. And. I was doing a lot of, of binge eating. I didn't really see it as, as an issue at the time. I just knew I was suffering and I didn't quite know what it was. It continued for quite a while. And eventually I started to get into these like dieting cycles where, you know, I'd try one thing and then the binging would wash over me and kind of sweep me away. And so I tried something else and on and on we went for a while. Finally, I did, I did some, it was a weight loss challenge. Um, and it really triggered a very restrictive eating disorder for me which took, took some time to climb my way out of. It turned into lots of, you know, exercise, compensation, you know, more kind of cycles of, you know, binging, restricting, over-exercising, and all of those types of things. So when I opened my practice, I really wanted to work with folks who, who maybe weren't seen as the typical kind of person, seen as having an eating disorder as our society kind of defines it. A lot of times society sees, you know, like emaciated, very thin white women as people who have eating disorders. And in my experience, I was kind of a, a typical, you know, an, an average, thin still, but an average sized person really struggling because of these cycles. And it prevented me from getting some of the help that I think could have, you know, helped me find my way out of things maybe quicker than, yeah. than how I did yeah. And so when you realize that you're in that cycle, what are some of the things that you did to climb yourself out of it? So I know that you obviously work with people. Did you go and see someone? I did. I did. I, I saw a couple therapists. I saw a couple dietitians. Um, and unfortunately, I, it wasn't really seen as an issue for me because of my pretty average body size. So it was a lot of like, you're, you're eating enough, you're fine, stop judging yourself, um, you know, let yourself off the hook, be gentle with yourself. And I was really, really suffering. And part of it could have been, you know, my readiness to really change and my ability to communicate all of the suffering that I was going through. But it was a lot of, it felt very dismissive of, you know, you're not, you're not emaciated, you don't need to go to like a residential program or anything like that. So it was kind of like swept aside. And, and it got me thinking, you know, what happens to folks who are living in larger bodies? who are experiencing similar things with restrictive tendencies and binge eating and things like that. Uh, At the time, I really thought about it and like, what do they do? How do they seek treatment? Um, How do they get help? So as I opened my practice, that's why 
I really, I wanted to do what I do to, to really, you know, help everyone, not just yeah. the societal, you know, definition. So I found my way out of it through, you know, I saw a couple of therapists over the years. I saw a couple of dietitians and I stumbled upon intuitive eating. Um, it's a book written by two dietitians and it really was like my, my holy grail in a way. It helped me find my way out of the dieting cycles. Um, and then I stumbled upon the Health at Every Size movement. And that kind of was the icing on the cake in a way. It helped me feel like there, there's something bigger here. Um, and it was really supportive in finding, finding help that I really needed and accessing a whole different community of folks who were, were willing to work with folks of all body sizes, of all experiences and all of that to really um, like fight, fight the eating disorders. Yeah, absolutely. I think I want to get back to the intuitive eating a little bit um, yep. later, but I do want to touch on diet culture to begin mm-hmm. with here because you've made some really good points about diet culture and how it really focuses on getting to that one body size. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of the time, it's not very inclusive of people who, people of color, people of all different body shapes. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that diet culture shapes us? Yeah, I mean, I think that we probably don't even realize all of the ways that diet culture impacts us. Um, It's so insidious and it shows up in so many different ways. You know, how like the right way to do things, the wrong way to do things, the right way to look, the wrong way to look, the the standard that seems to like shift and change, you know, over over the years and things like that. And yeah, I think it it impacts us. I mean, even now I, I find things of like, oh, wow, that's diet culture that's like showing up in my world. Um, that's really interesting that I haven't labeled it as that. It can really, well, I think it really does. It, it impacts a lot of our decision-making because we're surrounded by it and we're steeped in it. That, you know, the way to, to achieve health is through, you know, dieting and weight loss and looking a certain way, which is typically a, a very, you know, standard, white, thin type of person, fit person. Um, and it leaves out the, the rest of the world, you know, the rest of, of bodies, um, which is a real problem. Yeah. And obviously uh, the body positivity movement came about on social media a few years ago and absolutely, you touched on it absolutely just then is one thing I think it forgets to realize body positivity wasn't for the, the white thin, the people who are technically privileged in that sense. It was for the larger bodies for the body positivity movement. So what are some issues that you find with that movement, especially on social media as well? Mm. And social media is, is so dangerous, I think, sometimes. Mm. It's a great thing to connect and, and all of that, but it can also be so dangerous. You know, it focuses so much on, on I think, you know, the body and stereotypical kind of bodies that, that we're supposed to look like according to diet culture um, and spin it to be like, you can love yourself, love your body, you know, accept your body. But there's so much more to it. Um, the body, the, I guess, the social media body, body positivity movement doesn't take into account the systems of oppression that exist that prevent a lot of people from actually accessing those types of things. So it's really, yeah, it's problematic. And social media, it's like the hype of, of likes and, you know, working the algorithm or whatever it is. And people, people know how to do it. And it's a lot of, you know, showing, showing what, what people, according to diet culture, want to see um, and labeling it body positivity. Yeah, I actually put up a post last week because I've been thinking about 
body positivity a lot and also about where I kind of started on social media as well. And I used myself as an example because I didn't want anyone to think I was posting about anyone else. Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely think that I did some things that were probably a bit problematic on social media in terms of body positivity because I am in a body that is widely accepted socially. Mm -hmm. And so I put up a post last week asking about people what their thoughts are on it, um, coming from someone like me in in my body, how did they take my message of you are more than your body and what did they kind of, because I've been reading into it and it's a really interesting topic because a lot of the people that are, you know, on social media preaching body positivity are also a lot of the people who would be socially accepted walking mm-hmm. down the street, yeah. who wouldn't be shamed and who do actually really fit that diet culture um, stereotype. Yeah. And my question to them is always, you know, if you were living in a fat body that didn't, didn't fit the, the thin ideal or the cultural narrative, you know, would you still be able to like preach the body positivity stuff? Um, or would things shift for you? And, you know, sometimes it makes people pause and say like, well, maybe not. So, so there's some work to be done to really, to, to understand and to, to really, you know, promote the, the true body positive movement and, yeah. you know, the fat positivity movement really. And there's yeah. activists that have done this kind of work to make this available to, you know, the broader culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not, if you do realize that you have done some things that might be deemed po- uh, problematic, it's, it's just about learning and really just moving forward from that, realizing where that movement actually came from and maybe re- like really raising your voice about that as opposed to speaking about your own body in that body positive movement. Yeah. And, and lifting up voices of people who are in stigmatized bodies and marginalized bodies and things like that, um, yeah. using the platform to, to really support those types of people. Yeah. I just want to go back to uh, the binge eating side of the discussion. Yeah. Obviously it's a huge, huge uh, thing that happens in a lot of women's lives. You know, I went through binge eating, which I, again, I discussed in the last podcast as well. And I remember when I told people about it, I actually told people through writing, I told people through a blog post because there was so much shame and guilt around it. I found it really hard to have that discussion with someone face to face. Why do you think that there is so much shame and so much guilt surrounding binge eating? I mean, it feels like it comes back to diet culture in a way of, you know, diet culture says that we have to eat in a certain way and we should have this like never ending tank of willpower um, and that will all be okay. You know, we can just follow the diet. It's all going to be all right. So it feels really hard to, to be on the outside of that and to feel really out of control and to feel like there's something wrong with you because that's the message that we get that if, if the diet isn't working, like you must have done something wrong. Or if, you know, whatever plan it is, isn't working, you must be doing something wrong. There must be something inherently wrong with you. That's the message that we get over and over again. And so when something's happening and we feel that kind of like shiftiness and disconnectedness and urgency around food, it's, it's like watering those seeds in a way of like, right, there's something wrong with me. I have to get this under control. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to gain weight and then I won't be accepted. And so that kind of bleeds into the body image stuff. But it feels like it comes, it comes a lot from, from diet culture. Yeah. And often when people do go through this, once they do have that binge, their first reaction to that is to then restrict. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously there's a lot of problems that come out of that too, because it just be- creates a constant cycle of binge restrict, binge restrict. So if someone mm-hmm. is in that binge restrict cycle, you've mentioned intuitive eating. Is that something that you would implement for them straight away or would you kind of stage it? How would you approach that with someone? Yeah, I think intuitive eating is, is a really great tool um, for folks who are, you know, chronically dieting in the binge restrict cycle, it can definitely be something that's helpful. Um, the first tenant of, of intuitive eating and the first principle, I guess, is rejecting the dieting mentality. That can be a really hard thing for people to, to wrap their minds around. Um, so I think up front, there has to be a lot of education for folks of what's feeding the cycle, what's feeding the binges. And the first thing to address is the restriction. Um, a lot of times people aren't ready or willing to give up the restriction because of the dream of, of the body or, or the whatever that's attached to it. So for, for a lot of folks, I think there's a lot of work around the grief involved in letting go of what the restriction means to them. I, I kind of break it down into three different categories. First is the restriction, um, the, the restriction of, that feeds the binges. And then a lot of times it's kind of habituation in a way, like you're used to doing this behavior, so you continue to do it, whether that's a cycle or whatever it is. And then a lot of times there's, there's also like emotional components underneath. Um, but re- addressing the restriction first is most important because we can't really touch on the other things until restriction is, is taken away. Um, so typically the binge, the binge cycle is, you know, the the, the problem that you feel like you have, so like the binging, right? And from there, we go into like, okay, this is how I feel about the binging. I feel guilty and shameful and, you know, bad and all of these things. And so I'm going to fix it. I'm going to come up with this plan and it's all going to go away and I'm going to be good. And then so you move on and life happens, right? The plan kind of starts to fall apart and you swing into, into the binge. And then afterwards, you say, oh, crap, the plan didn't work. There must be something wrong with me. If you enter the, those shameful and guilty feelings, which then leads you into, you know, back, well, the problem is the binging. So let me c- continue to try to fix this with all of these different plans. Um, and you go around and around and around. Yeah. I remember there being so many times when I was going through this same cycle and just being like, this is the last time I have this plan now. And then, you know, something happens and you fall straight back into that mm-hmm. cycle. It's really hard to break. It's really hard to also let go of that restriction because often it is about having this body that society wants you to want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with restriction too, um, it can show up in so many places that people, you know, wouldn't even realize is restriction. Um, so lots of like good or bad with foods that can be a form of restriction. Um, I'm trying not to binge. I'm trying not to binge. That can be a form of restriction trying to, you know, not cope with food can be a restriction. So all of these things that aren't your kind of typical, like I'm going to start counting my points tomorrow, little restrictions can really build up over time that keep people stuck in the cycle without having some like, like a zoom out and curious lens to say like, what else is going on here? How else is this showing up? Yeah. And when you move someone onto that intuitive eating, I imagine that one of their fears and their fears in actually moving to that intuitive eating as well is the fear of putting on that weight. So how do you deal with someone who is in this cycle, who is dealing with that, you know, that fear? Mm -hmm. You know, I like to, I like to think of it as just an option for people. Um, Acknowledging that, first of all, we live in a, a culture that's steeped in weight stigma. So it makes a lot of sense why they don't want to give up the restriction. 
why trying to, you know, step outside of dieting cycles to a different type of self-care model with food can be really, really scary because it's true. Our, our society, there's, there's weight stigma that happens and there's fat phobia and, and people are really harmed because of it. So, you know, sometimes bringing that into the conversation can be helpful to, to say like, yes, this is what it is. And you have an opportunity to, you know, pull away a little bit and try to decide like where your values are without any judgment. And maybe your value system right now is to continue to try to like live in a thin body. There's no judgment there, just curiosity of, you know, why and, and what does healing look like if that's the way that you're going to go. So people, you know, hear of intuitive eating, I think, and it sounds great. You know, you can have freedom with food and, you know, eat what you want, eat when you're hungry, stuff when you're full, all of these things. Um, it's a great thing on on paper, but doing the practice is actually very hard. Um, so people have to be really ready for it. And stepping in and then stepping out and then stepping back in, stepping back out is a really common thing. And it's all okay because or everyone isn't going to heal at the same rate, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, some people are going to be able to, you know, try it out and say this is this is going to feel really good. And other people are going to say like, this is way too scary. Like, I need my diet back. I need my restriction back. I need my exercise back. And, and it's all okay. And when we look at intuitive eating and then also look at people who are, say, counting their calories on something like MyFitnessPal, mm -hmm. can that be really problematic as well? The whole MyFitnessPal, counting your macros, counting your calories? Yeah, I think that, you know, what it does is it deteriorates our trust within ourselves. Kind of like, like diet culture, we're, we're looking to the external to tell us, you know, how much we should be eating or how much protein or whatever it is. Have I, have I done enough? Have I achieved the thing that I'm supposed to be doing instead of saying, okay, you know, what is my body telling me? Um, so much of intuitive eating is, is it's introspective awareness of connecting mind and body and being able to say like, this is what's happening in my body. How can I turn, turn towards it and start to honor it instead of disconnecting from it and looking for another plan on the outside to tell me exactly what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously sometimes when people are going through these big dieting phases, they can obviously start to use things like macros and counting your calories, but they can mm -hmm. be quite problematic as well. So moving into, I myself have moved into more of like an intuitive eating way of living and find it quite enjoyable to be here um, as opposed mm -hmm. to counting and having to do all that when you speak about binge eating, I actually read one of your blog posts and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about in why a lot of the binges happen at night. Mm, yeah, it happens for so many people, right? And they feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I keep binging at night. And I would say like restriction during the day, you know, it's like you wake up and like, oh, I'm not that hungry. I don't eat breakfast. It's like a rule. I don't eat breakfast. Um, and then life starts happening and you get busy and you're at work or with your kids or whatever it is that you do and, and you just disconnect more and the restriction builds and builds and builds and builds and maybe you feed yourself here and there and then dinner happens and you're hungry. You're really hungry. Um, so you have dinner and then your body, its natural response is to want food. It, it, it wants to survive. So it's going to, to push you to say, you know, I need to be fed. I need nourishment. And that's when we start to feel that kind of like hanger or ravenous hunger mm -hmm. and, and things start to feel really disconnected and like, I need to get it in now. Um, I think that can be a, be a huge factor 
Um, sometimes it's the emotional stuff of the stress of the day and you're, you're disconnected from your emotions and you're just kind of like going through the motions all day long and, and you get home and things like wash over you, you know, and the emotions hit and maybe you don't have anything else to, to cope with other than turning to food. Um, so it kind of, you know, helps keep you afloat. That can be something that happens too. Yeah. So I think a good thing to take away from this is if someone is going through this cycle is when you do feel like you a binge is coming on, maybe take a second and have a think about what is going on. Is it an emotional trigger that's happening or is, did you have, you know, a really restrictive day? I guess just trying to figure out what is going on internally. You know, I think that having that curiosity is great. And for most people, this sounds really counterintuitive. But if you feel the binge is coming on, stay connected to the binge, you know, allow the binge. If you're saying, you know, this has to be an emotion, so I'm not going to soothe it with food. There we are again, like restricting the food and it's going to build into a binge. So if you're feeling really kind of like uncomfortable around food and something is building, saying, okay, this is what's happening and I'm going to choose to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to check in with myself of, you know, what was happening today? Did I not eat meals and snacks or whatever? Was I denying cravings? Um, Was I just emotionally wiped? What was happening? Because on the front end, it's really hard to do. But once you're fed and you can come back and say like, whoa, what just happened there? You can learn a little bit, which later at some point can lead to some integration of like shifts in behavior change. That's really hard, obviously, when you're after you've had that cycle to go. Yeah. Your first thought thought is obviously, you know, what just happened? Why did I just let myself kind of do that? So I think it's then obviously like getting beyond that and asking yourself those questions and being curious about what might be going on. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times people who are struggling with binging, you know, the way out is to be in the binge and to experience it and to learn from it and then to really let yourself off the hook in a very, you know, forgiving and compassionate, um, empathetic way. Again, another hard thing to do, but (laughs) super hard, super hard, not something that we're taught to do. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, One thing I do want to get into as well is uh, like decentering your body and also talking about kind of self objectification as well. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading on self objectification and listening to a lot of talks about it as well. And again, that's kind of where my post came from is by posting about my body, am I really making it at the forefront and giving it a platform again. What are your thoughts on that? I'm curious, what, what was your response like when you posted that? What were folks um, sharing with you? I'm just curious. Well, there was quite a few and I did want to touch on one of the um, comments is because someone did mention, you know, I don't want to make my body the only thing I'm talking about, but what if I do feel really good one day? What if I do want to post a selfie? So I guess it's trying to figure out where is that kind of middle point where we aren't making our body the only thing we are addressing and making it such an important thing about us, but also celebrating those days when we do feel, you know, really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all allowed, right? You're allowed to feel really good about yourself. You're allowed to feel like, you know, like you feel awesome and like really hot or whatever one day like great good for you my question is is like where does your worth come into that are you hinging your worth on those days when you're feeling like your body looks really great or or whatever or is your worth found in in other ways that you're showing up in your life yeah and that's also what other people said in the comments as well and another one was continued on to say you know i i want to be able to post a, a, a selfie 
but I also want to be able to feel that body neutral. And then another one was saying, you know, if I do see these posts from people who do typically fit what society deems as acceptable, I don't really take on board their message on my body. I'm more than my body if they're continuously posting about their body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So a lot of kind of thoughts came up about that. And I imagine that I'm going to continue to develop my own thoughts around that and about posting and social media in general. It's obviously you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole with social media. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really gamey, right? If a, for, especially for people who have online businesses um, and their platform, a lot of times is this personal brand and the personal brand, you know, is them. So showing up to the world, you know, in your body the way it is, it feels kind of necessary. But my question is always like, what's the message, message behind that? Um, are, you, are you posing? Are you doing all these different types of things to show off bodies, your body to get more likes or to get more traction or whatever it is? Are you relying on the message? Um, and the connection that you're, you have with your community. Yeah, which is often the case. The captions seem mismatched to a lot of photos and obviously people are oh, yeah. photos that will gain the most amount of attention and likes and comments, shares, whatever it is that um, people might be after. In yeah. a role as a fitness professional, it is obviously hard to navigate because some people do get in contact with you as wanting to be one of your clients who might be wanting to lose some weight and so how would you recommend as in that role to navigate that with someone i think it depends on um what your mission your mission is in in your business and and what you're doing in the fitness space something that we know to be true is that mostly all diets fail um 95 of diets so weight loss and it's not because of the person, it's because dieting just doesn't work. So thinking ethically of, you know, am I going to offer something that's going to promote diet culture's narrative of buying back in and the body project? Um, it can be a question to ask yourself, you know, do I want to continue along that road? And some people do because, you know, it's, it's easier to make money that way to say, like, yeah, I'll help you lose this weight. But we don't talk about, you know, what happens after that and the rebound weight gain and and the self-deprecation and loathing and all of the things that come along with it. So it's, I think it's something to be curious about. You know, where are you va- your values in this? What parts of diet culture do you want to reject? Um, what parts of diet culture are you having a hard time letting go of um, when it comes to your livelihood and all of that? Just lots of curiosity and grace with yourself that it's really hard to shift out of this paradigm that, that we've been taught that like we have to be a part of. Yeah. And if you're working with someone, what are some signs that they might be suffering some from some disordered eating or even binge eating? So disordered eating is tough because I think most people have some, some like sprinklings of disordered eating, depending on the severity. Um, you know, some people have, have lots of rules. Some people like do intermittent fasting, right? And that's kind of a glorified way of saying like restrict your food, restrict your food until this certain point. So in, I, I always look for, for like those like wellness type of culture trigger words of like fad diets, things like that. Um, lots of rules around food, lots of like shoulds around, you know, I should have this and this and this, and I can't have this because, you know, it's going to cause all of these diseases or whatever it is, are usually signs of some sort of disordered eating. Like judgment around body, 
and and thinking lots of thoughts around you know i have to i have to figure this out um i have to get this right there's usually something underlying there um i think when people can be really curious about their eating behaviors most people who are you know maybe in the fitness space even can identify like oh that that's kind of a a not a normal way to be looking at food or to be interacting with that type of food. So a lot of times I take my lead from clients of like, what, what feels off to you? Um, what do you wish felt more peaceful with food? People, people know, you know, but it's painful to admit a lot of times. Of course. And then to obviously make that step to once you address it and you do voice it to someone else, whether in a professional uh, situation or even just like a family member or something else as well, mm-hmm. if you voice that, then it's kind of your way starting to move forward away from it, which can also be an absolutely scary thing. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, especially binging um, behaviors, a lot of times people talk about um, hiding the evidence, like hiding food wrappers, um, eating in secret, lying about, you know, where they're going or what they're doing so that they don't have to like admit to a partner or a parent or a friend or whatever, um, you know, that they're actually going to consume whatever amount of food. Um, when people say, you know, I feel out of control around food most of the time, it's, it's a trigger of like, okay, what's going on? And especially at the moment as well, I actually received an email about this, um, which I wanted to bring up in this podcast episode. With everything going on around COVID-19 and people are spending more time at home, people are finding it that they're really struggling with their eating and some problems are really coming to the surface. Have you found that with some clients? Yeah, I think it can go in lots of ways. I think, you know, with the, with the binge eating, the, I don't know what it's like over there, but around here, uh, grocery stores have been like, aisles are pretty scarce still. Um, so there's this, this scarcity, like lingering out there in the grocery stores and things like that. So it can really trigger a lot of like binge like behaviors of, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get this again. So I, I have to, I have to do it now. Um, I have to get it now. So it's more of that kind of like restriction type of trigger of it's, it's not going to be here tomorrow. So, you know, I need to get it in now. Um, and then having this abundance of food, if you're only going to the grocery store once, once a week or once every two weeks or whatever it is, you probably have more food in your house than you typically did. Yeah. Um, so there's this abundance of food and people, it's uncomfortable because we're not used to that. Um, we're used to, you know, being in our normal kind of lane with food and then something different happens and it kind of can throw us for a loop. I even found, um, and I haven't actually said this out loud to anyone, when we were moving houses, we were at my parents for two weeks and it was just so odd for me to be in a space where there wasn't this normal food around me and I was like, I don't actually, I really don't actually want that chocolate. It's just there. And it's just not something that I usually have in my household. And it was the, one of the first times in a few years where I felt like an actual trigger. Yeah, I think a lot of people are finding that, you know, with, with kids home for people who have kids mm-hmm. and, you know, having more snacky foods around and they're not kind of just like sending them out the door. Um, they're sitting with food more and they're dealing with things that they have lots of rules against, which can, which can bring up a lot. Yeah. Definitely. When we speak about dieting and how dieting fails a lot of the time, why do you think that is? Because the body wants to survive. The body wants to be where the body wants to be. Uh, There's lots of information out there about set point theory that each genetically, all of us have this place where our bodies are comfortable. Um, And essentially when we diet, we're fighting that genetic blueprint. 
Um, so we can spend all the time in the world trying to like grind away and be a different body size, but our bodies, they, they want to be where they want to be and they're going to fight back. And then there's that basic kind of physiological response where when you're starved, your body is going to like fly into overdrive to try to survive um, because that's its job is to help us survive in the world. So I think those are, those are the biggest reasons why dieting fails um, because our bodies don't want to do it. They're not made to do it. When a lot of the time when people diet, they might lose X amount of weight and then gain it right back straight after. And yep. so that's probably more playing into what you just mentioned just then in terms of having that actual set point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and people, a lot of the time will gain weight back and plus some and then try to lose it again. And so then essentially what's happening is every time you're going into dieting cycle and and you're, you know, rebounding is you're, you're like raising your set point because your body is just like pushing to get back to where it wants to be. Um, and whatever metabolic damage happens along the way, it, it all, it all plays a role. And if someone is stuck in that dieting cycle of constantly, you know, it can happen for years for some people of just constantly dieting, not on a diet, dieting, not on a diet, but then really having a really long length of time where they are actually dieting. What are some steps that you would implement to try get them out of that dieting cycle? Uh, I think it depends on how ready they are to um, exit and to try to resume a normal eating structure. Um, the, usually the first thing that I do with most folks is to say, um, how willing are you to, to try to eat every two to three hours? Um, what comes up for you? Even thinking about that to start to feed your body more regularly. I think that's always the first step is to get back to nourishing yourself adequately and often mm. and and there there's the restrictive part of it a, a lot of people aren't willing to do that because they're afraid right they're afraid that if i if i feed myself every two to three hours number one i'll feel out of control because i'll be actually eating and number two i'm definitely going to gain weight um so i can't do that so there's a lot of work around you know what is it like to be stuck in this kind of like dieting cycle and, and these like seemingly endless dieting periods just to kind of come out of it and feel out of control. You know, what are you willing to let go of? There's a lot of grief in it, actually, to, to let go of that, that mentality and, and that paradigm that people have been like sucked into. Yeah. And so where do you, is that grief stemming from that diet culture? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What diet culture tells us things are supposed to feel like. I think a lot of grief around maybe not being able to achieve this then ideal lots of grief about maybe losing the body that they've worked so hard to achieve. I think it could come in in lots of ways. Grief around what they were taught about bodies growing up and through the years and being able to say like, oh, wow, that was really harmful. And now I'm losing this part of me that kind of kept me afloat and like grinding for some sort of worthiness over the years. Yeah. It's so sad too, because Obviously, we learn a lot about our bodies through media, through that diet culture, and then also through, I guess, like um, I learned a lot about food through my through my mom. And she also didn't really know better either when it came to that diet culture. And so when I told her that I was struggling with this, she actually came out and told me as well that she had also struggled with it when she was growing up and she only um, moved past it when she got pregnant with um, my brother. And so it is a really common thing and it is obviously really sad to see. And it's hard too, because 
I always think about when I, if I have a child and if I have a daughter, how am I going to do better for her? Do you have any recommendations for someone who has a daughter who wants to teach them about that actual true body positivity and how they can teach them better uh, language around their bodies as well? You know, I think that it, it can be helpful to think about um, body image, not so much as the image, but how you're living your life in the body that you have and how you're showing up in your life in the body that you have, even if it's, you know, wherever it is on the spectrum, being able to, to do that with this kind of like fierce sense of compassion mm-hmm. can really, really help our daughters, our nieces, our, you know, granddaughters, all of those things learn to say like, like I can be compassionate in whatever body I end up in. Um, and it can be okay because my worth is found in all of these other places. I love um, beauty redefined, have a great quote. And it's my body is an instrument, not an ornament. And the first time I heard that, I absolutely fell in love with it because it is so true. A lot of people who get into powerlifting. So we're obviously a strength training podcast. A lot of people who get into powerlifting find a lot of truth in that quote. Once they start lifting and start seeing their body for what it can do and not just what it looks like. And I would absolutely recommend that for anyone to find a bit of some exercise that shows you your body is so capable of being more than obviously what it looks like. And I, I know it, for me, I, I, did powerlifting for a little while and that was kind of on the tail end of, yeah, I was on the tail end of, of some like disordered eating type of stuff. And yeah, it was super empowering. So great. And then I also then had to do the work, the work of disentangling my worth from like the numbers, right. Of of strength and how that was kind of like circling back around into a similar cycle of how can I do this because I love it and feel really empowered and strong in my body without the expectation to like, kill it all the time and to do all of these things all the time. Um, so it's kind of, it's interesting because it can be so empowering for so many people um, and thinking about like, how can you, can I keep the joy in this type of movement um, yeah. and not turn it into some expectation um, that I have to continue to engage in. Definitely. I've been powerlifting for be five years now and I've gone through that cycle as well. And yeah. I spoke to Isabella last week and we were talking about how, easy it is to put our identity into something that we are doing and we don't realize until something happens. Yeah. Like we have an injury and it pulls us away from that. And it really makes us question how much of our worth we put into this hobby. Absolutely. Like, can it be a hobby? Can it be joyful? Can it be fun? Can it be a source of connection with community and connection to yourself? Um, I think lifting is is a great way to get to know you know, how it feels to be in your body Um, because you're in it, you know, you have to be in it. There's no option. Yeah. How do you think exercise plays into all of this as well in terms of that dieting culture? Because often when people are doing that hard diet, they're obviously really making their exercise a focal point as well. And it might become a bit obsessive. So if someone is being really obsessive with exercise how can they get out of that cycle with the exercise component as well? Exercise is tough for a lot of people. It's one of the last things to, to kind of tackle. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely possible. I think that it's thinking about, like, what do you find joy in? Do you find joy in, you know, grinding away at the gym for hours at a time? Um, what, what about that is fun for you? Is it, 
is it giving you some sort of like emotional high because you're numbing from something? Mm-hmm. Um, like what, what's happening there? And how can you just the curiosity thing, how can you be curious about what would it would be like to engage in movement that you did when you were like a little kid, you know, going out and riding your bike and feeling the wind and, you know, walking in nature and all of these types of things that diet culture and wellness culture doesn't really see as like a workout because there isn't tons of sweat and like pain and all of those things involved in it. Um, It's this opportunity to really reclaim how you want to feel in your body, how you want to move the energy in, in your body, how you want to be with the energy in your body and all of that. It can be movement can be a really great way, like I said, to reconnect with the body instead of, you know, disconnecting and working outside of it. It's like living from, from the head up a lot of times of, you know, my brain and the culture tells me I have to like go hard or go home or never miss Monday or whatever the sayings are. So I'm going to do that instead of like, oh, my body's telling me I need rest and I'm going to honor that. Yeah. And asking yourself, I guess, how you actually want to move, not how society tells you how you should be moving and for what for as well. Yeah. Yeah. Once someone is trying to heal their body and every part about it, what about those days where they do have a bad body image day? Yeah, body image days, they definitely happen, right? For everyone on this journey, it's, they, don't, they don't really ever end. Um, it's just how you deal with them. Um, I think, you know, being able to ask yourself, like, what's going on in this moment? Um, what is this kind of critical part in my head telling me about my body? Um, who does that sound like? Where could that message have been planted? I'm trying to externalize it a little bit of, you know, if there's some negative body thoughts going on, like you weren't born with those thoughts. You were taught them along the way. Um, you weren't born with this shame around your body that was planted along the way. So if you can externalize it a little bit, it, it can be helpful to gain some perspective of like, this doesn't have to be mine. This is theirs. And, you know, I can have the thought. I don't necessarily have to believe it. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a really great way to think of it is kind of recognizing where these thoughts actually come from as well. And often they are really rooted in that diet culture. And so trying to, I guess, let go of the guilt around having that thought that technically isn't actually yours in a way. Not yours. Yeah, not yours. Your your brain is doing what it's supposed to do. It's protecting you, right? With thoughts of like, well, if my body changes, for a lot of people, it's fear. Like, if my body changes, I won't be accepted. I won't be enough. Like, people won't love me, all of those types of things. So the brain does its job and says, like, wait a minute. Like, like I'm afraid. Don't, don't go forward. Listen to me. And, you know, you have to do something about this, um, which then leads us back into another kind of cycle of if I'm going to do something, I'm going to plan. And then, you know, we're back in the cycle over and over again. So even the exit strategy out of, of bad body image days is to say like, okay, this is what's happening in my mind. How can I turn towards it with kindness and compassion and work to really soothe myself? Yeah. And one thing I love too, when people mention this is obviously asking yourself if you'd ever really have those really harsh and critical thoughts about someone that you love. So whether that be your friend or your mom, whoever it is, what happens when say you do have a figure in your life, say a mom or a friend who is highly critical of your body? Yeah, it's definitely a trauma and it happens so often. It can be helpful. um, And maybe in working with a therapist, they could support people in doing this, but it can be helpful to think about the message that you wish you received and trying to offer yourself that to say, you know, that's not what I got. I know what I got. 
Um, but I wish that they had said that, you know, my body is like the least important or the way my body looks is the least important thing about me. Or I wish they said that like your body is a good body, your body deserves to be fed. And being able to have that as kind of like a grounding mantra in those moments, what you wish you learned to bring yourself back to the here and now so that you can kind of like reparent that part of you that's really hurting and wounded from that time. Yeah. Really tricky. When you just said then, you know, having like a mantra, is that something that you use with your clients a lot? And if you do use it with your clients, what are some kind of typical mantras that people really like to have for when they do have those moments themselves? Yeah, I think it depends on the person. Some people really like them and some people are like, there's no way that I'm doing that. Um, yeah, some people but, like but. <laughs> yeah, like, like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, something <laughs> that I think is really helpful is and some people also don't want to do this either which is totally fine um like i always tell people like take it or leave it whatever fine. being able to look in the mirror when you're having a body bad body image day and saying like this is the way my body looks today yeah so you're you're dropping out of judgment you're not feeding yourself like a bunch of crap that you don't believe in of like i look beautiful and i'm amazing and like i'm awesome so like it can be hard to get there if you don't really believe that so to say like this is how my body is today it can like make things pretty neutral. And then you have the option to say, how can I treat, how can I treat my body with respect? The yeah. way it is right now. Um, so you're be- not shooting for body love, you're shooting for like what's true in the present moment. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to chat about too, is should we be aiming for that body love of loving your body or should we be aiming to be quite neutral about it? I think people can choose for themselves. Um, a lot of people don't think that body love when they especially when they first start coming into this type of work they don't feel like body love is possible because there's so much shame around you know the way their body is or the way their body has been or you know where they're afraid to go and all of those things so shooting for neutrality is absolutely an entry point or even starting to notice the judgments that you're having that you're having about your body is another entry point in a way that does bring you to neutrality to be like oh crap I'm judging myself um would you look at that that doesn't feel really good So that, in a way, brings you right up to neutrality. Um, It's a really great place to start. And then if you want to have body love as, you know, the end game, totally okay. And, you know, people can get there 100%. And some people decide like, okay, that's not really what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for, you know, respecting the body that I have every day and just living my life in it. For me, I think that's what a positive body image is, is just saying like, how can I live my life in this body, you know, as best as I can each and every day. Yeah. When people have healed themselves from this as well, and let's say something like, uh, I'm going to use pregnancy as an example here. Obviously throughout pregnancy, you're carrying a child. So therefore you're obviously going to put on some weight because you have a physical baby. How a baby? Do, yeah. Yeah, do people struggle with this again? Does it start to bring up some issues? Absolutely. I did, eating disorders during pregnancy isn't something that is talked about a lot, um, but it definitely is a thing. And of course it's harmful and all of that, but there's so much fear around, you know, body change. And then what about after the baby? How will I lose the weight after the baby? Because the cultural narrative is that like your body has to bounce back. So I, I think that a lot of people do have a lot of struggles with like how their body is expanding and changing and what to expect after and how they can like feel peaceful in their bodies afterwards. Um, and that being said, a lot of people find that pregnancy is like this, this really empowering experience to be in their bodies to really connect to, you know, what it's capable of doing. I don't think it's true for everyone though. 
That makes sense. Um, I just want to go back to this email. I actually want to bring it up because I emailed her back this morning. I said, I'm not ignoring your email. I just don't feel comfortable responding to it and addressing this because it's again, not really within scope. In this email, she kind of acknowledges the fact that she's going through this. She's going through this dieting cycle. It's been going for four years and she goes, I sit at, you know, like 18 to 20% body fat. I'm not large or anything like that, but I'm struggling so hard with this. So if someone is at this spot in this point in time, would you recommend going to go see a therapist? Yeah, I think it's really, it's really helpful to see a therapist who specializes in disordered eating, um, depending on their goal, right? I think a lot of people have a lot of suffering that they're experiencing while they're in these dieting cycles. And the goal isn't to feel, you know, peaceful or normal around food, because the goal of like maintaining the body in a way can supersede that. And I think people could still get get really good treatment and help from people, you know, who treat eating disorders who are in that spot and would, you know, maybe rather stay in the dieting cycles than heal and all of that because it's valid and it's painful and all of that. But, but getting, getting help and getting support and even being able to like share your story with someone who, you know, will hold it and respect it and hopefully not judge it and all of that can be really healing in and of itself. Definitely. I think too, once people kind of voice it to someone as well, it really gives you, I guess, a bit of, of an outlet because you've been holding on to something for such a long period of time. It often seems with binge eating as well. And it helps neutralize shame. Um, you know, the, the antidote to shame is, you know, empathy and being able to share your story with someone who, you know, will hold it without trying to fix it. Um, so that's, that's a great way to start to, to say, you know, I don't have to hold this in such a shameful way. I can share it and receive the non-judgment with someone from someone else that maybe that I'm not able to get to myself right now. And if you're on the other side of that conversation, say you are on the receiving end of someone coming to you and saying, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with my body. How would you recommend they deal with that conversation? Um, I like to ask people, like, what would, how would you want your relationship with food and your body to look and feel like? How do you want to feel around food? How do you want to feel around the binge foods? Um, What would that look like? And what are you afraid of in getting there? Like, what, what are the hiccups in the journey that, that are kind of keeping you stuck in the cycle that you're in? Yeah. And if you notice that, say, your friend or even yeah, like a daughter or a niece is having some things pop up along the way, would you recommend waiting for them to approach you? Or would you recommend starting a conversation around the maybe diet culture and kind of planting that seed? Or... Yeah, I think that it's always beneficial to plant seeds. I think we're doing it all of the time, you know, in this work of, you know, planting small seeds that maybe won't, won't take root now. It might take root in five years from now and it's all okay. Um, I think that's a great idea of bringing the conversation around um, like problematic parts of our culture and messages that are reinforced and kind of, you know, everywhere you turn where they are and, and how that impacts you. Um, I think it's important if, you know, I, I hear this a lot from parents of teens of, you know, I noticed something was kind of going on, but I didn't think it was as bad as it is. Um, And it's a really uncomfortable conversation to have sometimes of saying like, hey, I'm noticing this thing and I want you to know that I love you and I care about you. Can we have a conversation about it? I want you to know that I'm not going to judge you. Whatever's happening, I want to support you around it. And I want to know, you know, how that might look for you. And some people may say like, 
there's nothing going on, I'm fine. And that's okay. That's totally fine. If you can leave the door open and just stay present and stay available, it feels really important. Yeah, which I guess in a way is also planting that seed to really tell someone, I'm here for you. I'm here whenever you're ready to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty much covered everything that I had to talk about with you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate being being invited onto the podcast. I just, I, I think I, I say this to, to all the folks that I talk to on the phone and on the internet and all of those things is that, you know, you're, you're definitely worthy of having a normal relationship with food and your body. And it's, it's countercultural work a lot of the times, and it's really hard work a lot of the time, but it's, it's worth it to find a sense of freedom to be in your body. It's absolutely worth it and possible. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find you? My website is my name, sarahurstedelcfw.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and it's sarahurstedelcfw. It's also a fantastic website. I really like oh, it. <laughs> it's thank built very you. nicely. And um, Sarah has a lot of blog posts on there as well, which I did a bit of a deep dive into. So if you are interested in some of the topics that we did speak about, a lot of them I did pull from her blog posts. So I would highly recommend going there. And obviously you also post a lot on Instagram and a lot of thought provoking posts on there as well. I've loved scrolling through. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And there we have it. That was Sarah Hurstich with a really, really important episode. Um, I hope you guys loved hearing that. I hope it challenged the way you thought about some things in your life. And if you're looking for any more resources, head to Sarah's Instagram. It's linked in our show notes. You can find us at Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram and you can find me at Beyonce. I hope you guys have a great weekend and I'll see you next time.